Congregation, the main text for this first Passion Sunday is from Matthew 16, verse 23. The main text, Matthew 16, verse 23. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So far, what we learn about Peter's response to the Savior's death. What we learn about Peter's response to the Savior's death. Three thoughts. Christ announcing his death. Secondly, Peter resisting Christ's death. And in the third place, we must die with Christ. So what we learn about Peter's response to his Savior's death, Christ announcing his death, Peter resisting Christ's death, and, what, and that we must die with Christ. Congregation, young people, children, the Lord Jesus was in the north of Israel, close to the ocean, close to the Mediterranean Sea, close to the city called Caesarea Philippi. He was walking there with his disciples and talking about casual things and important things. They were not quiet all the time, of course. Sometimes small talk, I suppose, and sometimes deeper things. And often the Lord Jesus led the conversation in a steer in a certain direction because he had in mind to talk about things and he was able to also control the conversation. One of those days, the Lord Jesus started with a question. And he said to his disciples, what do people think of me? What is their view of me? Do you know? And some said, well, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was beheaded and he came back miraculously. And others say, no, he is the Elias that would come. Or he is Jeremiah the prophet. Or maybe one of the other prophets. So they had overheard the people many times and many respected the Lord Jesus. Highly esteemed him. He was someone special, a man of God. But the Lord Jesus was not impressed with that response, with that view. So he asked his disciples, what about you? How do you view me? And then, what is the answer? Did they view him as a prophet, as a teacher, as the resurrected John the Baptist? What do you think? Is Simon Peter, of course, always open and outgoing and blunt? He answered the question and he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a beautiful confession. Thou art the Christ. The anointed one, right? The Messiah, that means. That means that he is the prophet, the priest, the king, the anointed one, the chosen one to save the people of Israel from their sins. What a beautiful answer. The son of the living God. The God who creates life and gives life and keeps alive and is lively and is existent and real. He is the Son of the Son of the Living God. What well, a precious confession. Peter knew that Christ was that Savior. How did he know? Was he gifted? Did he have a special insight? Was he very keen in those things? Was he very wise spiritually? The Lord Jesus said, No. No, that's, that's not the reason. Blessed art thou, signed by Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed it. It's not something of yourself. You don't have it from yourself. 
There's nothing like that that comes from people's heart, naturally. But it is my Father, but my Father which is in heaven, he revealed it. Now think about that. Think about the Lord Jesus looking the apostle Peter in the eye. The Father has revealed it. Your one love is. You have been chosen from eternity. You are a true child of God. The Lord has revealed himself unto you. And the Lord has revealed the Savior unto you. So the Lord blessed him. Blessed be thou by Jonah. For flesh and blood have not revealed unto thee. So the Apostle Peter was a follower of Jesus, right? He knew Christ. He loved him. He believed in him. He was saved. If he would have died now, it would have been well. He was a genuine child of God. God revealed the truth to his heart. And yet, he was a beginner. There was so much that he did not understand yet. So much lacking was a baby in Christ. And those little ones, those infants, they yet know something of Jesus. And the Lord has revealed things unto them. They really know them. They truly believe in the Savior, those beginners. So don't say that the beginners don't know Christ. Don't say that. The Apostle Paul is a beginner, and he knows Christ, but in a limited way. So therefore, the Lord Jesus wanted to teach them, to teach them more. So that's verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So that was kind of new to the disciples. And the apostle Peter had no clue about those things. He loved the Lord Jesus. The Father had revealed those things unto him. He was saved and forgiven and had a new heart and all those things. But there were things he had no idea about yet. He was so little in faith, had not matured yet. And the Lord Jesus, from that time forth, began to show unto his disciples how that he must, must, not was willing, but he must, that he must go unto Jerusalem and must suffer and must be killed and must be raised. The word must refers to the whole text. He must do those things. There was that necessity of the death of the Messiah, and that was a brand new idea for them. The Messiah, okay. The Messiah, yes, you're expecting him. The Messiah, yes, you hope that Jesus is the one. We believe he is the one. But dying? Really? What is that for? I don't think so. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't want that to happen. There's such a shocking message. Our Savior, our Messiah, being killed in Jerusalem... And he must go there. So the Lord Jesus was preparing them, right? He didn't want them to know this only later on. He was slowly preparing. He began, he began from that time forth, he began to show unto his disciples, and he probably explained also from the scriptures, because he was showing it unto them. In the past, the Lord Jesus spoke about his death in a veiled way, kind of 
not so clear. There's a veil over it, but now more explicit. And this was absolutely new to the disciples. You know, they thought he has come into human nature. He was born in Bethlehem. Is that not enough? That we have one. He, um, he preached the word. He preached the gospel. He is an example. He is a king. He is a prophet. He teaches the way of salvation. He is powerful. He can do things. He can deliver us also from the Roman Empire. So they had they thought the world of him. But not about dying. And yet the Bible teaches that without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement. The blood needs to be shed. The disciples did not know that yet. Peter was blessed with knowing Christ, the Son of the living God. However, he did not know this yet. He did not understand Isaiah 53. He did not understand. He is wounded. Wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He had no idea about the substitution, about the high priest sacrificing. He had no understanding of that. How is that today? Is it possible that someone is a genuine Christian and loves Jesus and believes in him but has no understanding of his death? Well, we know more, don't we? We know better. We know things the Apostle Peter at this time had no idea about. We know the Lord Jesus even crucified. And we know that he rose from the dead. So we know intellectually so much more from the Bible. Then the possibility no. But yet, it is possible that a child of God today has Christ revealed to his heart and does not know what to do with the cross. Now, when you ask, they say, oh, yeah, I guess he had to pay the price, Right? And of course, he had to die because of God's justice and the payment, and they know it all intellectually. With the heart, do they? Do they really understand that Christ had to absorb the wrath of God and to save a people by shedding his blood and giving his life and laying it down? Many of God's people in the beginning, they have seen something of Christ. But there's so much more to know. And they may think that they know everything already. They may think that. Young Christians often think, I know a lot, I know it all. Like the Apostle Peter, kind of jumping the fence and being overly confident. It's still possible. So then you know, you know the doctrine, but the necessity, the must thing, has not sunk in yet. The must, because the Lord Jesus must die. He must pay the price. Because he is a holy and righteous and eternal God, and the payment has to be made. The Lord cannot just simply forget and simply forgive and simply ignore sin. Because he's God. And we don't appreciate judges, right? Who are forgiving. Always forgive and always are easy on the people. You know, we don't like those judges. We say judges need to understand their job and judges need to do justice. That's all they have to do, to do justice. They're not called to forgive, they're called to do justice. And so God the Father also is doing justice. Do we understand that? 
You know, in the beginning, God's people can be so happy when they can cry and they're emotional and touched in their hearts and just encouraged a little bit. And this time, text in the Bible is so helpful and so encouraging and comforting that they think they, they have it all. But there's so much more to learn. It is so much more serious. So the Lord wants his people to grow in grace and to receive more understanding of those things. Why? Why is it possible? Why is it needed? Why is it helpful that God's children grow in grace and know more of the cross and of the resurrection? Well, a few things. The more the Apostle Peter knows about that, and God's people know about it, the more they know about it, the more glory God receives. Because people will stand in awe and say, really? Did he have to pay so much? And was he willing to do that? And did the Father give that sacrifice? His only begotten Son, really? It's this absolute amazing grace. So for God's glory... For God's glory, it was needed and helpful that the Lord Jesus taught his disciples that he must die to God's glory, but also to have more stability in the life of God's people. At first, it goes up and down and up and down. And sometimes they have it all and sometimes they have nothing. And they may think it's normal. But it isn't. It shouldn't be like that. It should be more, more stability, more evenness, not such high heights and deep depths, although sometimes characters also play a role in that. More stability, that salvation does not depend upon my feelings. My tears, my emotion, but that it is firm in the payment Christ made. He said on the cross, it is enough. It is finished. To be more focused on that finished work of God, that he paid the price and that nothing has to be added. It's firm and it's a paid thing. It is helpful to receive more joy. You know, the Lord is really pleased with the joy of his people. The more they rejoice in him, the better it is for the Lord and his glory. So that's why the apostle Peter, John rather, often writes, I write those things that your joy might be full. The joy might be full. That's the purpose. It's mentioned several times in John. And also it is helpful for more holiness. So the more the Lord Jesus is known, the more thankfulness, the more holiness. So the apostle Peter and the other apostles were taught by the Lord for more glory to God, more stability in the faith, more joy of heart, and more holiness for God. So how is this with you? Maybe you say, I don't know anything about Christ. That's so sad. Having heard about him so often, so he has not been revealed to you, right? But it's also our responsibility because we also resisted revelation. Repent of it. But maybe you say, I have seen something of Christ. He has been my, become my Savior. And I have seen him and believed in him. But how much did you now know of his blood, of his death? In particular, this focused on his death. What is so precious on his death? Did it also open up to you? Because that's the reason from that time forth 
began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. What's the first thought? Second thought. Peter resisted Christ's death. So let's go back a little bit. The Apostle Peter, was he converted? Yes, he was. Did he know something of his sins? Oh, yeah. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, he said. Did he know something of Christ? Absolutely. He knew something of the Savior. I am the Christ. Is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, he is ignorant. That's right. He's, he's ignorant all about the death of Christ. So, he's a fine, deep child of God with lack of understanding. But it's more. It's not only that. It's not only lack of understanding. You know... Verse 22, then Peter took him. He took him. Literally, did he just lay his hand on his shoulder? Took him. I want to speak to me. Did he just invite him to come alongside with him? He took him. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Really? That same Peter, who was revealed the Christ, the living God, from the living God, the Son of the living God, who was a deep child of God, and the Lord said, Blessed are thou, Simon by Jonah. The same Peter, he has the courage to rebuke Christ and to say, Thou art so wrong. I don't agree with that. That is absolutely makes no sense to me. Don't say that anymore. It's enough. Stop it. Did Peter say that? Was he so blunt? It says rebuked him, saying, Be it far from thee. Lord, this shall not be. It's not going to happen. So it's not only lack of understanding. It is rebellion. Rebellion. And that's amazing that the same Peter responds in such a way. First he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You would expect him to say, well, I don't understand that. Dying? Must die? Lord, explain it, please, to me. But he didn't say that. He didn't ask for an explanation. He just rebuked him and said, it's not going to happen. He opposes it. Because he does not want this to happen. He doesn't like it. And that's the thought in there. That's the philosophy in there. I don't like it. And therefore, it may not be true. There's something to think about. In general, in our lives. I don't like that message. So therefore, it might, it may not be true. I just refuse to believe it because I don't like it. Is that not happening all the time today? That people read the Bible and read the law of God and read the Bible stories and the whole revelation and say, I don't like that. So that's, that's why I reject it. Read myself of it. I just tear that page, page out of the Bible because I don't like it. happens a lot. 
Maybe you also can mention, can remember a, a thing in your life that you found certain things in the Bible or in the doctrine or in the church. You said, I don't like that. So that's why I refuse to bow under that. You know, that is actually typically also the philosophy of the world. The world says, if you don't like something, just don't believe in it. If you just don't like that law, if you don't like the rule, just reject it. Because you have a right to be happy. You deserve to be happy. So if something does not make you happy, go. Leave it alone. So with things of sexuality and premarital sexuality and gender issues and abortion and, 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 and all, of, all those things. There's certain things we don't like. I don't like that baby in my stomach. I don't like to be pregnant. So that's a struggle. And so therefore abortion is right because you like it. And regarding sexuality, everyone is doing it. And, and I don't like it if there's not a lot. So we just turn it around and say, I don't like it. So that's, not, that's why I don't take it seriously. But back to the Apostle Peter. What a, what a message. Peter took him, rebuked him, saying, Be far from thee, this shall not be unto thee. So the apostle Peter rebels against the Savior. And so it is possible also today that God's people do not only have lack of understanding, but that they are rebelling against it. And the Lord has never said, take the easiest route and take the route that is pleasing unto you. The Lord says, follow me. So the apostle Peter had the wrong, the wrong attitude here. He was a genuine disciple, rebuking the Lord Jesus. That is a serious sin. Serious enough. But he is kind of in, in the lower grades, right, of the school of Jesus. He is a beginner. And he knew Jesus, but he did not need to die. Wanted to know more and more and not to stay at this level. The Lord knew they would not like it, but he had to tell them more. So the Lord Jesus, he had, has spoken of his dad before in a veiled way, but now in a more open way. And then you see it further in verse 23. But he turned, Christ turned, and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those things, those that be of men. So the Lord Jesus was not impressed and did not listen to the Apostle Peter, and did not say, oh, oh, if you don't want me to die, then I won't die. It's simple. If you don't like it, I give in. The Lord Jesus could not do that. He could not listen to the Apostle Peter, and he did not stop his work, but he stopped him. He said to the Apostle Peter, I paraphrase, you want to stop me from doing my work? Move. Get out of my way. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm not listening to you, Peter. Get thee behind me. Make room. 
let me walk up to Jerusalem, and you just follow me. Don't be an obstacle. What is that, anger? Was the Lord Jesus angry with the apostle Peter, saying, get thee behind me? Or was it love? Is it the love of Christ, Peter? Get thee behind me. I love you. I'm going to do this work for you and for the entire church to save people from their sins. Get thee behind me, Satan. Satan, he calls him Satan. He's calling him names. No. No, Satan means adversary. Satan means you don't cooperate. He's not saying that he is a devil. No. But he is cooperating with the devil. He is not listening. He goes his own way. Therefore, Christ continues and does not want to stop his work. His thinking is wrong. He turned, said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. So it's, it's hurting Christ. It's offending him. It's making a stumbling block, it's a stumbling block. The Satan is behind it somehow. I agree with that. Satan wants to stop the Lord Jesus. He does not want the Savior to pay the price. And he is using his God's people for that. For thou savorest not the things that be of God. Savorest. Your mind is in there. Your thinking, the way you think, the way you process things, the way you feel about those things is not of God but those to be of men. You're so human. You reason so worldly. There's, there's, there's no godliness in there. See that? Even God's people re, re resent it. They don't want to grow up. That's God's people. It's not only lack of knowledge, also resisting their own salvation. They have no idea what they're doing. And yet the Lord Jesus loves that people. And he loves that Peter. And in love he says to the Apostle Peter, behind me. Behind me. I love you. Go behind me. I'm faithful to you. Get behind me. I continue my work anyway for you. Behind me. Is that not comforting? I think it is. Don't make a mistake. This resistance is not the same resistance as the resistance of unbelievers. Unbelievers like the um, Stephen talked about. Remember? You always resist the Holy Ghost like your fathers, also you. So unconverted ones also resist. Always resist. Always, always. Always resist the Holy Ghost in its common work. We even know that and admit that. But that's a resistance in, in, in enmity. And this is a resistance in love. He errs in love. It's, he is this passion, this love for the Lord Jesus. And that beloved Lord Jesus, he does not agree with. So that's why he is so fierce. Compared to the Apostle Paul's comments to the foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, did the Lord Jesus, did the Lord not love those Galatians? Oh, yes, he did. But yet he rebuked them quite severely. 
Satan is sly and cunning, and he's trying his best to stop the Lord. And the Apostle Peter had to understand this. And then learn from this. Later on in 1 Peter 5, he writes, Ye all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisted the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, be therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. He knew, he knew those things. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. At the end of the second thought, a few, a few things. Resist, congregation, resist temptations. Also, the temptation to respond according to the flesh. When you respond to the gospel, because of the flesh, resist the temptation. Say, I, this is so wrong. Resist worldly wisdom. Don't go with the world. The world says, if, it's, if it makes you happy, do it. It's false. If you go that route, it won't make you happy. And pray. If there are decisions you have to make and none of it is about something you don't like and you like, don't per se go with what you like. Maybe you have to do what you don't like. And pray about it. And open that Bible that reveals the will of God and seek help and counsel and advice of God-fearing people. We have to decide on those things. In short, if you don't like it, it does not mean that it's wrong. But if you really like it, it might be wrong. Seek the truth. Brings to the third thought. The third thought is an application. Now, what is an application? What is an application to this sermon? Why do people usually like applications? Well, an application is that we just wonder what the message we just heard, how it affects us, what we can do with it, what's the purpose of it, what is it doing to me personally. So that is the application. What does it mean to me today? And so the Lord Jesus often spoke application himself. For example, in John 9, the man was born blind, was healed, and he could see again. Then the Lord Jesus afterwards spoke about blindness and said to the, to, 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 to the Pharisees, if you say you see, then you're blind. But if you see the blindness, then you see. It's an application, right? So what is the application here? The Lord Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. What is the application of that? For those savers, not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Well, you see the application in the verses 24 through 28. I'm going to read those verses again. And then pick up the application of it what it means to me, what the purpose is of this. So then said Jesus and his disciples, that is the application, then he said, if any man, so think to yourself, will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoso will save his life, is that what you want to do? Whoso will save his life shall lose it. 
and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily, I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. A few things about that. A few things about this application. If any man will come after me, so Lord Jesus said to the Apostle Peter, behind me, give me room, move, I continue. Is there anyone comes behind me? Anyone willing? Whosoever will come after me, if you would like to belong to me, if you like to be my people, then let him deny himself, take up the cross, follow me. Deny himself. So the apostle Peter did, did, did not, was not allowed to go his own route. He had to lay aside his own thoughts, his own worldly philosophies. And he had to just deny self and sacrifice. So that is what the Lord is asking in the application of us all. That we deny self. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our happiness. It's about God's glory. So it is something that is standing in the way. Deny yourself. The Lord Jesus denied himself as well. He came down from heaven, became poor and needy in a sense. Take up your cross. Now, taking up your cross is an expression that was well understood. In the Roman Empire, Crucifixion is only allowed for non-Romans. And those Romans and, th- and those criminals, not, not Romans, those criminals had to carry their cross themselves on their back to the place that they will be crucified. So do you see those people going with the cross on their back? They saw that quite regularly. That did not only happen to Jesus. It's quite, quite common. And that means that someone was exposed, right? There was a picture of, I lost the battle. I was conquered. I just bent over myself. I came across. Because I have nothing to say, I go to my death. And so the Lord Jesus is asking, in the application, not only the disciples, but all of us, to deny yourself and to take up your cross. Whatever your cross is in this life, take it up. Deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. I am there. That your focal point may be me, not you, not the circumstances, not the help, not uh, resolutions and solutions, but me, follow me. Think of me. Meditate on me. Seek me. Love me. Believe in me. May I be everything to you. That's the advice. That's the application. If any man will come after me, it means that you sign your own death sentence. It means that you take up your cross. You read in 1 Corinthians 15, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, O Lord, I die daily. 
I die daily. And in John 12, we find reference to this, I think, very similar situation. And Jesus answered and said unto them, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there also shall my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So, want me to summarize it? The application? You need to die. You need to die. To lose your life, not to gain it. That seed needs to fall in the ground, otherwise it does not bring forth fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it. Young people, if you go the route, I love this life, I'm, to, I'm pursuing it, I'm pursuing happiness, you lose it. Because God's people learn the opposite. They learn to lose their life and to follow him. And to not being so focused on my happiness, although there is true happiness in him. One of my favorite texts, you remember, is Romans 7, 9. For I was alive without the law once. I felt okay. I felt happy. I felt great. I was alive. I felt alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, when the law came, and God condemned me, sin revived. All, all the sins were revived. I remember it again. And I died. That's what you need to come to that point. To die in this sense. Because carrying the cross is a necessity. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So if you have all the happiness, but you lose your soul, what do you have? To hand it all in when you die. Hand it all in. I once was in Kiev years ago for the Committee of Israel in Holland. There's a Jewish church there as well, a Jewish Messianic church. And I visited them and we were considering to uh, donate large amounts of money to them so they wanted to know what type of people are they. And I still remember them in that apartment, about 20 people together, males and females, the lady with fur hats on. And I asked a few questions, quite a few questions about their doctrine and their lifestyle and who they were. And I kind of discovered that they all professed something. So I was, sorry, a little critical about it. So I wanted to know more about it. What happened to you? Are you sure you're saved? I challenged them. And I asked them also, have you become hell-worthy? Have you become ungodly? And I still see those men and they look at me. And the quite of them nodding, yes, yes. And I felt such a bond with those people. So far away from home in the Ukraine, right, in Kiev. And having a meeting with some of God's people, the Lord knows the heart. There is people there, Jewish and Christians. So they also had 
lost their self-righteousness. They had had become sinners before God. So the Lord Jesus had received room in their heart, place in their heart. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world? You know, those people in Ukraine, when we visited, they lived in poor circumstances. I was not jealous of them. Very simple, very, very basic. And right now it's even worse, right? So they don't have much in this world. But if they have God, a, a refuge to go to, when they may still sing in the underground together, when they still may see the Lord, well, then they will gain everything. What shall man give in exchange for his soul? For the shall man shall come into the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. To his works? Rewarding every man according to his works? Well, of course, that does not mean that we need to pay for salvation. We are not saved by what we do. But God is making good on all things God's people have surrendered. The Lord yet knows that people. And it's a reward by grace. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. So I think it refers to the to Pentecost or the resurrection. So there are some standing here which shall not taste death till they have seen. So they will see the gain of God coming and they will survive that and they will die afterwards. The congregation, the best path is the narrow one. The one of dying, the one of becoming a sinner, the one of losing more and more. And that's, that's the way of gaining. The best path is the narrow path. It's against flesh and it's against blood. But it is the good path. It's the good war. It's the good fight. So therefore, sinners need to, be, need to crucify themselves and seek salvation. In God. If any man, any man, you hear that? Any man. If any man will, will come after me, are you willing? Welcome after me. Let him deny himself. You're welcome. Take up your cross and follow me. Amen.